Good morning, everybody. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown, and, and welcome. It's good to see everybody here on Daylight Saving Sunday. Thanks, Sam, for letting me preach on Daylight Savings. <laughs> Spring Forward Day. You guys doing okay with that? Not too tired? At my house, we had to have a Daylight Savings family meeting. It, it was about time. Okay, you did better than I thought you were going to do with that. That's good. So far, so good. No, especially parents. I feel bad for the parents of little ones. Because it can normally just be a challenge to get everybody up and dressed and clean and fed and into the minivan on time, right? And, and to get here. But you add in daylight savings and, and now you've got tiredness and despair. You're outside of your normal routine. I remember those days. Even Braden, our, our early bird, Braden was just a bundle of energy starting two hours before the sun came up. <laughs> but even Braden would, would say, Daddy, why are, you, why are you waking me up so early? Well, it's impossible to explain daylight savings to a five-year-old, right? So I just thought, teaching moment. Well, Braden, you know how you wake mommy and I up? You wake me up every morning for the last four years? I think God just wants you to know how that feels. Doesn't feel very good, does it? Yeah, just parental teaching moment. You always got to be looking for those. No, seriously, though. Daylight savings, I, 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 I am a little bit personally offended that they do this Sunday morning at 2 a.m. or whatever. I, I think personally I would be a lot more willing to receive the idea of an hour less sleep if it started Friday afternoon. And our work week was an hour shorter, that would be a good trade-off, <laughs> right? Instead, they, they get the Christians, and we're all zombies on Sunday morning, and, ah, yeah. At least my clock in my car is right again for six months, so we got that. So. No, but we should pray for our kid town workers, okay, because some of the little ones are going to struggle this morning. We should pray for ourselves, because maybe some of us are are going to struggle too. But why don't we do that and, and then we'll jump in. Father, Lord, we pray for the little ones who are going with an hour's less sleep this morning. We pray for the kid town workers that you would give them energy and give them favor. And for us this morning, uh, Lord, we, we're going to be looking into your word and we need you to work in our lives. So I just pray you'd give us the focus, the attention the ability to communicate and then receive things from you this morning. Amen. It's already been said that, that you're here in our midst and that you can do a work in our hearts. We believe that and we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so this morning is an off week. We're, we're taking a break from, our, from, from the normal expository preaching through the book of Genesis and... and there is a rumor going around that in a couple weeks we're, we're going to learn who is Melchizedek. Ooh. All the Bible nerds are like, <laughs> yes, I can't wait. So anyway, you want to stay tuned for that. But this morning we're going to be, we're going to be looking at something different. We're going to be, um, it is actually interesting that it's daylight savings and maybe we're a little tired because we're going to be looking at, at rest, among other things, this morning. And I know that, that we are, we're the busiest church I know. I know that. I don't know that, you know, we're the busiest church in the world, but I mean, we just might be. As many people that we have, as many members as we have that are about the mission, doing everything we're doing between LFBI and Bible studies and discipleship and services, we, we stay very busy. On top of that, oh yeah, everything else in life. Jobs and family, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. 
And sometimes, listen, sometimes we kind of feel like maybe we're, we're restless. Maybe in our soul we don't have peace. We don't have the rest that we need. And, and, and this morning we're going to be looking at some things, examining rest, the rest that God provides for his people. And turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to, we're going to start, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start in this passage. And, and, and if, if you turn to 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14, what we're going to find is that there are three things that are to be with us. Okay? So, so here's what we read. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Okay, so these are th three things that are familiar to those of us that are born again. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, because we are saved by grace through faith. Because when we heard the gospel, we put our trust in the Lord Jesus and received God's unmerited favor. That means we didn't earn it. God's goodness toward you, his favor toward you was extended to you through Jesus Christ. That's called grace. And we know about that because we received that. We received God's grace through our faith. And then we know about the love of God. You know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That son is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by whom we are reconciled unto God. You know, you've seen, you've experienced the love of God. And then the last one was the communion of the Holy Ghost. The fellowship, the communion that we have with God the Father and the communion that we have with each other. When you were saved and the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt within you, that comforter, that friend, that guide, that teacher brought you into fellowship with God and then into fellowship with each other. So we know about these things. We're familiar because we are recipients of them. You said yes to God's grace. You said yes to God's love and we have communion together. But this verse actually doesn't say that we're to be familiar with those things, or even that we are supposed to, like, hey, isn't it cool that we're recipients of those things? What this verse says is these things are supposed to be with you. And part of, of the teaching this morning is this understanding. You can be a recipient of God's grace, but maybe you don't have it with you. Okay, so I think about Matthew chapter 18. Turn with me just by way of illustration. Let's look at a parable, Matthew chapter 18. It's the parable of, of the, the talents. So Peter asks Jesus in verse 21, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? till seven times. Now that was probably very generous on Peter's part. You know, he was probably shooting high because it's Jesus, right? Do I have to forgive Uriah seven times, Lord? Okay, here's, here's the answer. It's a parable. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven like, likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now 10,000 talents is a lot of money. That would be equivalent to about 600,000 years average annual income. So this servant who owed the king, I don't know how he, he got that much debt, but he did. He would have to, if he made the average annual wage, work for 600,000 years to pay back the king. So that's a lot of money. Verse 25, but for as much as he had not to pay, 
his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. You can't pay your debt, you go to debtor's prison. That's how it worked. So that's, you can't pay your debt. Hey, we made a deal. You're, okay, you're going to debtor's prison. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave the debt. Whew, could you imagine? You owe the king 600,000 years annual income. You know you're never gonna be able to pay that. And the consequences of that is you and your wife and your kids or you and your husband and your kids are gonna be sold into slavery, into bondage or go to debtor's prison. And then the king's like, you know what? I'll just clear off that debt. It's good. We're even. You don't owe that anymore. Oh, what a burden lifted that would be. Oh my goodness. So, so this man, in response to this, in verse 27, you know the story. The, then the, then uh, verse 28, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Okay, so that's not nothing. It'd be like a month or two's income, maybe. Like you could get a gallon, of, uh, you know, a tank of gas right now for that. <laughs> okay, so I mean, it's something. So this guy who was just forgiven so much laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me all that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay all. Gee, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Verse 30, and he would not, but went and cast him into prison that he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that, that debt because thou desirest me. Okay, now look at verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee. And his Lord was very wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And so, so the, the king had an expectation. And here was the king's expectation. This is what made him very wroth. Okay, when he showed great compassion, the expectation was is the recipient of that compassion would actually be changed. They would become someone who now also is going to be compassionate. They received great compassion, they should be able to show great compassion. That makes sense, right? We all look at this passage and go, man, that guy, he missed the whole thing. He received mercy, but he wouldn't show mercy. The mercy that he received did not change him. Okay, his heart was hardened. That's, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. He saw the king's mercy. He was familiar with it. He experienced it, but it wasn't with him. That's grievous to God. And I want us to examine hard-heartedness this morning. And this will be the lens that, that I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 through as we compare Scripture to Scripture. So, so hang with me, okay, as we look at, at this passage through this lens. And really what we're doing, you guys, is we're looking at our own hearts. Because the reason sometimes that we fail to enter into the rest, which is available unto the people of God, is because we have hard hearts. You guys ready? Okay, let's look at it. So first of all, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We're looking at hard-heartedness. In Hebrews chapter 3, we see God, verse 7 through 12, 
speaking to his people, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, verse 7, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Look at verse 15. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Okay, so... That is, that gives us our definition of hard-heartedness. Okay, and so, so if you look at verse 8, talking about the hardening of their hearts, and verse 9 and 10 help us understand it. Verse 9 says, they saw my works for 40 years, and verse 10 says, they have not known my ways. So here's our definition for hard-heartedness. Having seen God's works you still don't know his ways. Like the, the servant that was forgiven much. He's, he, he actually received God's mercy. Yeah, but he didn't have it with him, did he? He didn't have it in him to show compassion, even though he was shown compassion. He saw the works, he didn't know the ways. In Mark chapter 6, verses uh, 50 and 52, the disciples... We're with Jesus, and Jesus had just fed 5,000 men with their wives and children. It's a lot of people, and he fed them with five loaves and two fishes. And there was a whole lot of, of leftovers, okay? What an amazing miracle. So then Jesus sends the people away. He sends his disciples across the sea in the boat. He goes up to the mountain, and he's praying. And the disciples, as they are traveling across the sea, it's, it's getting to be late. It's like in the dark before dawn. They're still trying to go, but a storm has come up. And these professional fishermen who are toiling all night cannot get to the other side. And then Jesus, he's just walking across the water, right? You guys know this story. They were afraid. They cry out. They think it's a ghost. But Jesus comes into the boat. This is what we see, verse 50. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they wondered. I've been amazed. I've never been so amazed I got sore. I mean, they were really amazed. Like, it's almost hard to describe how amazed they were because the wind ceased when Jesus entered the boat. Okay. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. So they saw Jesus do a supernatural miracle that only the God-man can do. Only God working in or through someone or God himself can do what Jesus did. And then they're in their boat and they're just toiling and toiling and toiling. Okay, ministry leader. Just toiling, just trying to do what God said, but it's just so hard. I just feel like I'm toiling all night. I have no rest, because you know they're tired, fighting a storm for all those hours. Meanwhile, Jesus is just up praying on the mountain. He saw him, the passage says. So you've got Jesus, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't pray and say, Waymaker, miracle worker. Hey, you know how, how, how Jesus, we saw your works and you did a miracle. Now we could use your help. They, they didn't do that. They were so amazed. And so what happened? Don't, don't miss this. 
they were toiling because they did not actually have it within them to simply trust God for a supernatural intervention into their situation. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. So they saw the miracle, didn't really get into their hearts, did it? Okay, so that's our working definition. Hard-heartedness is kind of an unbelief that comes from seeing God's works, but not knowing his ways. And so it's not good, you guys. There's some problems that come from hard-heartedness. And the first one is this, it grieves God. In Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we read about one of the two times in your New Testament where God is grieved. There's only twice in your New Testament that the Bible records God being grieved. And the first one is here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 5. The Pharisees are watching him because they want to accuse him of stuff. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved, why? For the hardness of their hearts. He saith to the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. The first time we see God grieved in our New Testament is because the hardness of hearts for the Pharisees. The second time... We see God grieved. We've already looked at that. That's in Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 10. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. Why? Because they err in their hearts. They've seen my works, but do not know my ways. Harden not your hearts. So it's hard-heartedness. The only thing in the New Testament where, where we see God being grieved. We know we can grieve God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, which is in you, right? We know we can grieve him, and this is what grieves him. It's hard-heartedness. It's when you see God's works, but you don't know his ways, and you don't have it within you. So, so, so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, but this is the lens that I want to examine it. Have you seen his works? Do you know his ways? I'll, I'll just give you a little hint. This morning, we're just singing about the promise keeper and the way maker. Oh, that all God's people would sing, mighty is our God. And, and, and if you weren't able to add your voice to that chorus, here's just a hint. Either you don't know his works you haven't seen his works or you don't know his ways. Because I, I can sing about him, Jehovah Jireh, because he's, he's done that for us. Jehovah Nisi, because he's done that for us. He is our provider. He's our healer. Jehovah Shalom, we sang about that. And for some of us, we can go like, yeah, I do have peace with God through Christ. I've got that within me. I've, I saw those works. And, and some of you, you can't say that. So we want to do a heart check this morning. Because it may be, there's some areas, that you have some hardness of heart for different reasons. So go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. So the verse starts with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have, you know, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what grace is. What is grace? Unmerited favor. So, you know, that's a good definition, but it's one of those definitions that actually needs its own definition. Okay, so what is unmerited favor? Well, unmerited means we didn't earn it. We didn't get it because we deserved it. We didn't get it through works. It was something that God gave us. Now, it's the finished work of Jesus Christ that gives us the grace that we have. And this is the pathway. This is the way. 
that you and I have access to God. This is how you got into reconciliation, right relationship with God, was through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't get connected to God through any other means. I promise you. I guarantee you, if you have an intact relationship with God, the way that you took to get there was through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did that work. The finished work on the cross, when he said, it is finished, and the tomb, the stone, was rolled away, that is the pathway that we take to get to God. Amen? Amen. Okay. If you are going to approach God today, you have to take the path that he laid out. Okay, so, so Captain is, is a corgi. And um, I love Captain, I do. But it's mostly a faith thing. Like I have yet to see a lot of really redeeming qualities in this dog. Okay, but he does make a good sermon illustration. So Captain, you know, Andrew put in a, a doggy door from the backyard into the garage. Captain had a little magnet that would release the, the, the door so that he had access into the garage, his place of rest. That's where the food was. That's where the water was. That's where the shelter was. And he could just come and rest under the shadow of the roof of the garage. That was Captain's place of rest. But the only way was through the doggy door that had been provided for him. There was no other way into that garage. Now, now Captain, he, bless his heart, you know, the other dog, Holly, she, she had the thing too, and she could make the door work pretty well. But Captain, he, you had to wait like half a second to trigger the, the, the thing to release it. And Captain, the first couple of times, Holly just ran through there, and the captain was like, dunk, 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 dunk. just like a fails. Like if we, if we would have got it, it'd be like on the, the fails YouTube. Today. Okay. And after that, that poor dog, he was scared to, to, to go. So it'd be snowing, and he's just out there in the yard. It's raining, and Holly's in there just, you know, eating all the food, and Captain's just out in the yard. So, so, you know, thank the Lord, he, you know, he had help, he'd go in and try to teach him. But, but here's the thing, I'm not saying that we're like dogs, but I'm saying that there's only one way to God. And it doesn't include our merit. So, you know, there's some things that God has shown me, not, not in this Bible, this is like my preaching Bible, but in my study Bible, there's things that God has given me, promises from God's word that, that God showed me in a very personal way that, that I was able to claim those promises. Do you guys have those? So what I do with those is I just draw a little stone off on the side in the margin. It's a little Ebenezer stone so that I never forget, listen, from now on, hitherto, here's what that Ebenezer stone means, is when I approach God, I have to consider the promises that he gave me. I can no longer approach God forgetting the things that he's shown me in his word. This is the way. Okay, and so the grace of God, the, the day that you were saved, the day that you were born again and you experienced the grace of God, that should have changed you. You were born again. Surely, it hasn't been so long that you forgot. Johnny Cash, he, he did a cover on Hurt. He said, if I could start again a million miles away, I would keep myself. I would find a way. Probably should have sang that, but it would be too distracting. Like I'd mess it up. But that's the daydream that we have, where it's like, you know, if I could go back, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have done that. And I would have bought Bitcoin. <laughs> 
That's always, that always works its way in the daydream, doesn't it? You know, in 2010, it just would have taken a little bit. Now, you know. But here's the thing. Marvel not. Marvel not that Jesus said, you must be born again. Because our first birth, as wonderful as it is, left us in the place where we needed a redo. Oh, God, if I could go back. I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have made those mistakes. Well, actually, okay, listen. That's good to, to want that, but our redo isn't actually going back in time. It's being born again. That's our second chance. And our first birth was the problem. And who we were in the flesh left us separated from God because our sin separated us from God. And try as we might, we couldn't get right with God through our own works, through our own flesh, and we needed, we needed someone to deal with our sin problem. And on that day where we realized that's who Christ is, God justifies the ungodly. I qualify. My first birth qualifies me in that category. The ungodly. God justifieth the ungodly. Romans chapter 5, verse 4. And I believe that, and I put my faith in that. And I lo- no longer am I trying to become righteous by my own works. I'm just trusting in the finished work of Christ. And I received grace. <sighs> okay. Do you carry that with you? Did that change you? Are we as excited today about the grace of God in our lives as we were back then? Because I know that you know grace. I know that you experienced it. You, you, you saw his works. But do you know his ways? Because it's possible. Just like the servant who was forgiven much but then wouldn't forgive, it's, it's possible for us to, to, to know his ways I'm sorry, to know his grace, but not to show grace. Are you going to show me grace if you see me make a mistake? Are you going to show the person next to you grace if they make a mistake? That is unmerited favor. They don't deserve it. But because you have grace, because your heart was softened, by what God did for you, that now you can look at someone else in their mess, in their ungodliness, and everything that they're doing wrong, and just say, look, I got so much grace, I'm so full, my heart is soft, and I can show someone unmerited favor, right? You guys understand what I'm saying. So there are some pitfalls of hard-heartedness, and just going through 2 Corinthians, so, so we don't have time for, you know, a complete study on this. I'm not saying that, that this is really like that. I'm just saying we have some examples of hard-heartedness in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. This is what we see. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says to the church at Corinth, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity... And godly sincerity, just simply and because that's what, you know, I believe and, I, and that, um, therefore I speak, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. Okay, here's a pitfall. So God's way is grace. Do you know that? Well, here's a pitfall. The pitfall is when we try, we try to act wise in the flesh. It's pride, really, is what it is. Pride is the first pitfall. And so people are puffed up. They're posturing. They're trying to be impressive. It's not just simple godly sincerity. They're performing. Okay, wait a minute. Hang on. That's not the way. Is it? You saw his works, but, but the people that are doing that, the posers, the, 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 the postures, the prideful performers in the church. Guys, that's not the path that leads to God. You can't access him that way, not through salvation and not through sanctification. And what you'll find is you cannot rest in the quality of your performance. Hey, what do you think about what I did? How do I do that? Do you think that's okay? And it's like, you're just always just pinging off everybody all the time. 
oh, you forgot it was your first birth and who you are and the natural man that got you in trouble. You forgot that you got a second chance, but the second chance has nothing to do with your performance. It has to do with what Jesus did. That is so restful that I don't have to perform. I don't have to defend my pride. My pride was pretty much taken away at salvation. Amen? You guys see that? If we're not changed by the grace of God, if we don't have it in us to just simply trust God because we're trying to perform, well, then that's not very restful. Okay, next, persecutions, pressures. And here's where I think a lot of us, because it's, it's more than just persecution. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn back a few chapters. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All the way through, from, from 7 through, you know, at least through 16 there, what we see is, is Paul, again, so we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for his sake. And he talks about some of the things that Christians go through. Verse 8, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. So, so all these things, listen, that we go through, the difficulties, the hard times that we go through, yes. Yeah, those are real things. But listen, they don't actually cause me to step outside of the grace of God. Look at verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. If I've got the grace of God activated in my life, then that's so big that anything going on in the physical realm just doesn't really move me that much, and I can continue to move forward and faint not. So really, you know, a lack of sobriety would be when we quit because it's hard, right? Hey, how's it going? Well, it was hard, so I quit. Okay, well, well if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. That's why Paul teaches, the Holy Spirit through Paul teaches us, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So, so listen, if I never really was changed by the grace of God, like the servant who was never really changed by the mercy, if I never really perceived the grace of God, it's going to be pretty hard for me to depend on that grace, to trust in that grace during times of difficulty. Okay. Passivity. So pride is a pitfall, and persecution or pressures of difficulty are pitfalls, and passivity is a pitfall. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. Paul, talking about the, the, the offering the church had promised to make, he says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You remember that, you guys? Okay, with that in mind, verse 10, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before, not only to to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. And we live in this Laodicean church age, which is lukewarm, which has the ability to receive the grace of God and, 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 and then not to do anything with it, to be passive. And I would just suggest, if you're a passive Christian, then your heart wasn't softened like it should have been when you received the grace of God through Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. And now what are you gonna do with that? Perform the doing of it. Okay, 
2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 talks about the love of God. Have you seen the love of God? Have you seen his works? Of course you have. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And we are those who believed in him, amen? Of course we've seen the love of God. 1 John 3, 1, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You guys know what Jesus went through. You know how much love it would take to be separated from your son for the sake of someone else. The question is, do we have that love with us? Do I see you through the lens of the grace of God and do I see you through the lens of the, the love of God? Because it's possible to see his works and not know his ways. Okay, so, so how do we know? Well, okay, let's look at some pitfalls. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. There's a pitfall. Here it is. Receiving without perceiving. Okay. Seeing his works, but not knowing his ways. Look, look at 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. So I, I not only should receive the love of God, but I should perceive it. My perception is this. That the love of God was extended toward us through Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. The disciples, they, they didn't consider the miracle of the 5,000. And that word consider means they didn't stop to think about it. They didn't put it together. It never changed them. So the perception that we are to have is that we have received the love of God. And, and some of you, you know, you know, you're not very lovable in your mind. Laid out the gospel yesterday. And this lady, she goes, I know I've really let God down. Like, okay, we're halfway there. You, you got the hard part done. Okay? You guys understand what I'm saying? But some of you, you, you don't really know how to perceive the love that you've received. And I would just say, soften your heart. Soften your heart. And just be able to say, if the Bible says God loves me that much, then I believe that God loves me that much. I am not going to harden my heart because of the things that happened to me in the past, because of whatever things I did, because of things someone else did. I'm not going to harden my heart, and I'm not going to fail to do the math here, that God has done a work, and not only has he given us love, we're supposed to perceive it. We're supposed to know that we're loved. Okay, so receiving without perceiving. Soften your heart, believer. Next, another pitfall is to see the old, the old man, and not the new man. Well, what's that mean? Okay, well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 17. For the love of Christ constrains us. It's the love of Christ that, that motivates us, that, that compels us and moves us. Right? The love, well, how is it that we get to that place where it's the love of Christ? It's love that's my, that compels me, not doubts and fears and legalism and just trying harder to get my act together. How is it? Well, well, well look at what it says. Because we thus judge, we took the time and we put it together, we considered it. That if one died for all, if Jesus died for all of us, he did, we can agree so far, Let's just put it together here, together. Then we're all dead. We were all dead in our sins before Christ. Amen? We all agree? Okay. And then if he died for all of us, we're all in the same condition. 
We, we were condemned, but now we're saved because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Listen, now we should not live henceforth unto ourselves, but unto him which died for us. We should be living for Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Amen? Amen. So when, when, okay, so now when I look at you, I don't see the person who's dead anymore. I see you now in light of what this verse says. I see you as someone who was dead, but now through Christ has been made alive. And that's how you see me, and that's how we see each other. And we're all living for Jesus. So what you are is a walking, living, breathing, physical example of the testimony. You're, you're a testimony to the love of God in action. So I just look out here and I see the love of God. Oh, so good. And there's the love of God, and there's the love of God. Oh, and Mitch, there's the love of God in bodily form, and we are recipients, and we've received it. And if we can be a church like that, then when people come in, they're going to see the love of God. That's what motivates us. Okay, and then, and then last pitfall for the love of God is missing that the way of love is also the way of peace. And so you can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. We're in this thing together, and the way we serve God is by serving one another. God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Oh, here's the commandment, love one another. So I, this is the pathway that leads me into a right relationship with God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the way. Okay, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Like, hey, you know, be blessed. Be perfect, that's be mature. Be of good comfort, don't be discouraged. Be of one mind. We need to be in agreement. We need to have unity. Live in peace. There's plenty of opportunity for strife and division. Well, well that doesn't make any sense given who we are in Christ and what he's done that we would, we would go down that path. And, and instead, we want the God of love and peace to be with us. And so listen, if I'm going to draw near to God, if we are going to draw near to God as a church or individually, we're going to have to walk the pathway of love and the pathway of peace, which means we have to have unity. Those two things go together because God has made us part of something bigger than ourselves. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And so, you know, there's a pitfall in, in me not having the love of God toward you like I should, and you not having the love of God toward me as you should. Does that make sense? Okay, finally, the communion of the Holy Ghost is the last part of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And, and so, you know, we do have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with each other. We know that from 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. These things write we unto you, that, that you would have fellowship with us, but truly the fellowship is with God and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Fellowship with each other, fellowship with God, that's all enabled by the function of the Holy Spirit within us. You've received that, right? You, you experienced, you've seen the works of the Holy Ghost. But, but is it with us, or have we hardened our hearts in some way? So here's the pitfall. Here's the main pitfall. It would be this, receiving but then grieving the Holy Spirit of God. When you were saved, when you believed and you trusted, first, you know, Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit of God came and did what? It sealed you to the day of redemption, Right? Well, we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that it did, he did that from the inside. He sealed us. He dwells in our hearts. And we have received the Holy Ghost at the time of salvation. But it's possible to grieve the Holy Ghost. So what is that? Well, that's me forgetting the presence of God. Oh, man. That was, you know, the Holy Spirit and I sat down to binge Netflix for seven hours. I kind of forgot he was with me. Because I know I received the Holy Ghost. I know he dwells in my heart. 
I know I'm sealed, but I kind of forgot. I kind of dragged him through it this week. Ooh, you guys know what I'm talking about? We grieve. Okay, that's the big pitfall is to forget that God is with us and to ignore his presence and pretend like he's not. So here's the application from our message this morning. We need to see his works. He is mighty. He's a miracle worker. He's a way maker. But then we need to know his ways. And for some of us, you, you don't know his works. You haven't been born again. And you don't have rest for your soul. Here's what he says. Come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know, some of us, we've been saved so long we forgot we were lost. And the joy of our salvation really just needs to be restored in our lives. And our hearts need to be softened. Because you're not as forgiving as you used to be. You're not as loving. You don't have the communion you used to have. You don't have the rest that's available unto the people of God. Some of us, we, you know, we need to cease from our own works. Stop trying to merit something that is only accessible through unmerited favor. So we have no confidence in the flesh. Make the Lord Jesus Christ the hero of your story. Soften your hearts today. And so listen, let's have the praise team come up and we'll close out with praise and worship. But I would just give an invitation this morning that, that, that you know, come up and meet with, with one of our leaders if you want to help you enter into that state of grace and you can unburden yourself from self, from fears, from pride, for doubts, from hard-heartedness. Have you seen his works? How about knowing his ways? How are we doing with that? Let's just pray together and, the, and then we'll, we'll uh, have a time of invitation. Father, God, thank you for your word. And, and Lord, if we're honest this morning, um, God, we, we've probably hardened our hearts in some areas and we probably don't know your ways and we probably don't know you like we should because we, we don't really know your ways because the work you did in our lives didn't change us like it should have. And God, we, you know, we're feeble. We, we don't have all the answers without you, but before we even started preaching this morning, we're talking about the work that you can do in our hearts. So God, soften our hearts. Would you take the heart of stone and replace it, Lord, with soft, a heart of flesh? And, and Lord, have your way in our hearts and minds. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.